0: but Lord God we have come here in this place knowing that your spirit resides inside of us that your spirit is alive in us for those of us who are redeemed Lord God thank you so much that you've redeemed us by your grace and your mercy that you've truly saved us a people undeserving who are forever in your service Lord God if you don't ever give us another blessing in our lives what you did through Jesus Christ is enough we accept that gift with humility we accept that gift with gratitude and we accept it in exchange for our whole life Thank you so much for what you've called us to. We adore you in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you, Travis. Uh, It's good to have you back. Kind of a little treat for those of us who have been around for a few years. Uh, Yeah, it's good. All right, uh, a couple things. Um, Can I move this? Do you mind? Um, First of all, I think I owe some people an apology. Apparently last week in my emotional state. Uh, people were confused and some of you thought I was leaving. Um, so I, that was not my intention. Uh, apologies for those of you. I got some cards in the mail, uh, some texts. Uh, I was very appreciative. Uh, it's kind of like one of those things where you attend your own funeral, you know? people What people will say about you if uh, they attended your funeral. Kind of the same kind of thing. People were, I guess, beating the the punch, as it were. Uh, and telling me how thankful they were. So thank you for all those people who did. I'm not leaving, uh, to my knowledge. So thank you for being concerned. It was just a momentary, emotional moment on my part. So I apologize. A couple things before we begin today. Uh, We have some mission opportunities I need to inform you about so you can think about whether or not you'd like to join us. And then the first one is this Saturday, we're going back to Boys and Girls Country, and we need some guys Help us. I think we got girls covered. Is that right, James? Yeah. Girls are covered. We need like four or five guys. So if you guys are interested in helping on Saturday evening with Boys and Girls Country, please see James right there. Wave your hand. Say, see James right after the service tonight. Uh, secondly, we are planning another trip to Corpus, to go help out an apartment complex there. We're going to meet right after the service tonight. Glenn, right back there in this back room behind us. If you'd be interested in going the first weekend in August to help with that trip to Corpus, meet back there after the service tonight. Um, it'll be a Friday to a Sunday, so you won't have to miss any work. It'll just be a really cool experience to go and live on some kids for a little bit. Finally, we're going to go back to Scotland in October, October 18th to the 25th. We'll have a meeting two weeks from tonight. For anyone who's interested in going, um, I know it's not a holiday or anything, but pretty much all of you have to take vacation anyway to go because you're adults now. Uh, Not that the college students aren't. I love you. Uh, You're an adult in a different way. You just don't have an adult job, per se. Um, Some of you may do, and you're working your way through. I just won't dig myself out of that hole. Anyway, you know what I mean. Uh, If you are interested in going to Scotland with us, uh, two weeks from tonight we'll meet Back there to discuss it again, October uh, 18th to the 25th. If you want to write those dates down and begin planning for them, all right, everybody, good? Okay, we're going to continue our study tonight uh, entitled Jesus is Better, in which we Uh, Look at Old Testament kind of figures and characters and see how they are simply precursors or foreshadow a more complete work in the person and work of Jesus. Again, we're affirming as our main statement throughout this entire series that the entirety of the Bible is about Jesus. The whole Bible is about Jesus. Even the Old Testament is about Jesus. And some of you may say, well, Jared, Jesus isn't in the Old Testament. And you would be wrong, because he is. He is, from Genesis to Revelation, the focal point, the subject matter, the main character of the Bible. He is the great protagonist. It's a good English literature term. It means main character. You should use it at a party sometime. The whole Bible is about Jesus. And some ways that we've talked about seeing Jesus in the Old Testament are Christophanies, moments where Jesus, before he is born of Mary, steps down into time in person and interacts with his creation. We talked about events, things like Uh, the, The flood or the exodus out of Egypt, these major events that in some way foreshadow the more complete work that Jesus will do in his earthly ministry. We've talked about types, characters in the Old Testament that represent some type of Jesus and his service. We talked about titles, titles that you see in the Old Testament that are later applied in a more complete way to Jesus and the New Testament. And one that we've been really focusing on is analogous service. People performing deeds in the Old Testament that are precursors to what Jesus will do more effectively and more completely in the New Testament. And tonight our discussion is that of Joseph. And our contention is that Jesus comes as the true and better Joseph. I don't simply mean here that Jesus Christ superstar is a better musical than Andrew Lloyd Webber's Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. Oh, and sorry, it bombed. (laughs) It was a valiant try. I thought it was funny. Anyway, no, we mean that Jesus, the person, is better and a more complete version of what Joseph did in the Old Testament. And to kind of give us a a framework to go on tonight, I want to look at some major points quickly of Joseph's life, kind of couple them with Jesus' life, and then dig down more deeply into the text in Genesis tonight. Joseph... When we look at his, stu- his story, was abandoned and betrayed, yet used his favor and authority that he gained over his life not for revenge but for redemption and restoration and Certainly the same is true in the life of Jesus, but in a greater way, Jesus, having been abandoned by all of creation, makes ultimate provision for restoration with his supreme authority and invites all who were separated in hostility. To be reconciled in love. Pretty cool ideas. It's the heart of the gospel, really. So let's look at the life of Joseph for a second. If you will, turn with me to Genesis chapter 37. And we'll encounter Joseph really for the first time in the Bible. And read at least the beginning of his account in Genesis 37. We'll begin in verse 3. Now Israel, formerly Jacob, who was the father of Joseph, loved Joseph more than any other of his sons, because he was the son of his old age, and he made him a robe of many colors. But when his brother—can you imagine, by the way—if your dad gave you a multicolored rainbow robe today to show his love and affection toward you? Okay, it's an interesting way to show love and affection—a rainbow-colored coat. There are many things I could say about that. Probably not inappropriate in a pastoral setting, so we'll move on. (laughs) Verse 4. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all of his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. Now Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, to make matters worse, they hated him even more. He said to him, Hear this dream that I have dreamed. Behold, We were binding sheaves in the field, and behold, my sheep arose and stood upright. And behold, your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. His brothers said to him, are you indeed to reign over us, or are you indeed to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. Then he dreamed another dream. Seems like a lot of musicals tonight. Sounds like cats. I dreamed another dream and told it to his brothers and said, behold, I have dreamed another dream. Behold, the sun, the moon, and eleven stars were bowing down to me. But when he told it to his father and to his brothers, his fathers rebuked him and said to him, What is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come to bow ourselves to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept this saying in mind. Now his brothers went to pasture their father's flock near Shechem. And Israel said to Joseph, "Are Are not your brothers pasturing the flock at Shechem? Come, I will send you to them. And he said to them, Here I am. So he he said to him, Go, now see if it is well with your brothers and with the flock, and bring me word. So he sent him from the valley of Hebron, and he came to Shechem. And a man found him wandering in the fields, and the man asked him, What are you seeking? I'm seeking my brothers, he said. Tell me, please, where are they pasturing the flock? And the man said, They have gone away, for I have heard them say, Let us go to Dothan. So Jesus went after his brothers and found them at Dothan. They saw him from afar, and before he came to them, they, could, they conspired against him to kill him. They said to one another, "'Here comes this dreamer. Come now, let us kill him and throw him in one of the pits. Then he will say that a fierce animal has devoured him, and we will, say that it, uh, we will see what will become of his dreams. But when Reuben heard it, he rescued him out of their hands, saying, "'Let us not take his life.' And Reuben said to them, "'Shed no blood. Throw him into this pit here in the wilderness, but do not lay a hand on him.' That he might rescue him out of their hand to restore him to his father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the robe of many colors that he wore. And they took him and threw him into a pit. The pit was empty. There was no water in it. Then they sat down to eat. And looking up, they saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead with their camels bearing gum, balm, and myrrh on their way to carry it down to Egypt. Then Judah said to his brothers, What profit is it if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites, and let, it our hand, let, it not our, let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother, our own flesh. And his brothers listened to him. Then the Midianite traders passed by, and they drew Joseph up and lifted him out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. And they took Joseph to Egypt. When Reuben returned to the pit and saw that Joseph was not in the pit, he tore his clothes and returned to his brothers and said, The boy is gone. Where shall I go? They took Joseph's robe and slaughtered a goat and dipped the robe in the blood. And they sent the robe of many colors and brought it to their father and said, This we have found. Please identify whether it is your son's robe or not. And he identified it and said, It is my son's robe. A fierce animal has devoured him. Joseph is without doubt torn into pieces. Then Jacob tore his garments, put sackcloth on his loins, and mourned for his son many days. All his sons and all his daughters rose up to comfort him. But he refused to be comforted and said, No, I shall go down to Sheol to my son, mourning. Thus his father wept for him. Meanwhile, the Midianites had sold him in Egypt to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard. Certainly in the story, we see a whole host of people acting out of jealousy and betrayal. But the beauty of the story is that of many others in the Old Testament, certainly throughout the Bible, that this is not the end. Ultimately, Things that were meant for evil lead to a greater good, and in this case, of all involved. If you continue to read the story of Joseph, you recognize that Joseph was sold into Potiphar's house, and then when he got there, the favor of the Lord rested upon him, and he grew in favor with Potiphar himself and became the overseer of Potiphar's household. So he gained favor in the sight of Potiphar, but unfortunately also gained favor in the sight of Potiphar's wife because the Bible says in uh, 39, verse 6 of Genesis that Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. He's a good-looking guy, ladies. You know, attractive. And so this cougar went after him. And uh, so she wanted him and he rejected her. And because of the rejection, uh, she sent him to jail. And in jail... Seemingly a lower low than what he had previously been in, he finds favor with two two prisoners, interprets their dream, and ultimately one of them brings him before Pharaoh so that he can interpret a dream for Pharaoh. He finds favor in the eyes of Pharaoh and ascends to a very high level in Egypt. Very high, very influential, to the point where when Israel, the people of Joseph, um, find themselves in a famine whenever they are in immense trouble, they flee to Egypt and find that Joseph, not knowing that it's Joseph, is the very one who can take care of them. A story that initially begun out of betrayal, out of jealousy, leads to an ultimate good. And famously, at the end of this story, Joseph looks upon his brothers, the authority that he could have used against them, and said, I forgive you for what you intended for evil, God intended for good. What perspective? And so, tonight, having now seen the story of Joseph a little more in depth, let's consider three overarching truths that are realized in greater ways in the story of Jesus. And the first one is this Joseph, the favored son of a loving father, is resented by his own people because of the message that God had given them. Imagine for a second the resentment of these brothers who for a long period of time had faithfully served their father, had loved him, had taken care of his uh, sheep and his pasture. And all of a sudden this young boy comes up and he has given things and loved in ways that they themselves had never been loved. He got a technicolor dream coat. How can I not be upset by this amazing rainbow of affection? It reminds me a lot of ways of the prodigal son, even. A a younger son returns, and the older son is jealous because his father seemingly pours out his love on the younger brother in a way that he never did the older son. I think we all can relate a little bit to the jealousy of the older brothers. It's not hard to imagine that they feel Joseph is getting things that he does not deserve. It reminds me a little bit of uh, LeBron James, right? Self-proclaimed king of the NBA and yet hasn't won a championship at all. Compared to Michael Jordan before he's done anything that is remotely jordan Same kind of tension here. Joseph didn't earn this. He was given it freely. And because of that, his brothers hated him and acted on that hatred and resentment. And certainly the leap to Jesus here is not a hard one. Jesus' greater message is rejected by the leaders of the Jewish people in the same way that Joseph's message is rejected by his brothers. Joseph comes with a dream and says, There's going to come a time where you will bow down to me. Now, he was 17 years old whenever he told them this dream, but maybe he didn't realize the, I guess, end result of the image that he was telling to his brothers and his father and his mother eventually. But because of that image that God had given him, he was rejected by his family. In the same way, Jesus, given a much greater message than that of Joseph, is rejected by his own people because of this great message. Certainly there's some excuse, I think, in the brothers of Joseph. I mean, they didn't know there was going to be a famine coming. But with the people and the leaders of the Jewish people, there is no excuse. For three, four hundred years, they waited on the Lord to speak to them, crying out under the rule of a Roman Empire that had enslaved them and kept them in bondage for God to send them a deliverer. They have a whole host of books that point to the fact that God will send them a Messiah. And then when Jesus shows up, the fulfillment of all of these prophecies and says to them in Luke chapter 4 that I am the Messiah you have been waiting on. I am the fulfillment of the prophecy in Isaiah 61 in Luke 4. I am the fulfillment of everything that you have been longing for. You've been crying out to the Lord and God has not turned a deaf ear to you for here I am, Emmanuel, God with you. And they look Jesus in the face, the fulfillment of every longing they've ever had as a Jewish people, and they reject him because it threatens their authority. It threatens their position with the Lord. Here, the Jewish leaders, they're supposed to be the ones who are cared for most by God. They're supposed to be the ones looked to with authority and love and reverence. And here comes this guy, this Nazarite, son of Joseph, son of Mary. Who is he to say? that we have to bow to him? Who is he to say that he will rescue us? Who is he to say that the way that we've interpreted the law is wrong? Who is he to say that we have tied up heavy loads and burdens upon these people? Who is he to say that we are not righteous? Scripture, the whole of Scripture, the word that they studied, night and day, in some cases, all pointing to a great revelation that would be embodied in Jesus Christ, and they looked him in the eye when he proclaimed this great message in Luke four sixteen to twenty two, and they rejected him. Secondly. Joseph is betrayed by those closest to him and sent on a journey of initial despair that leads to greater glory. Now, certainly we kind of overuse the word betrayal today. We throw it at a lot of things that truly aren't really betraying. Um, I remember when I heard that Nick Saban had accepted the head coaching position at the University of Alabama. And literally felt like a knife had been stuck in my back. The betrayal of this man who I gave the best years of my life to when I was at LSU. Rooting for him and his coaching at LSU. Left us with the Miami Dolphins, which I get. Okay, it's a step up, it's NFL job. But to come back to Alabama, a bunch of rednecks. Let me just apologize now to any Alabama fans listening. (laughs) I don't want your emails. Uh, How could he come back to not only a conference rival, but a division rival? And then win the national championship? Betrayed. To the point now where we refer to him affectionately as Nick Satan. Betrayal so close to my heart. I remember American Idol this year when America betrayed me by voting off Pia Toscano. What in the world? She was light years above every other singer on that show. And America got it wrong. And in keeping with old school remnant tonight, I remember when Carrie Underwood got married (laughs) to a hockey player. A hockey player. Probably has prosthetic teeth. A hockey player. Who wants to marry athletes anymore? Aren't we out of high school? Honestly? Why not pursue someone with a rapier wits and the body of a reader? That's what I say. Thank you. The one person who out. Uh, but this betrayal, we throw that word around betrayal, but this betrayal we're talking about tonight is a betrayal of a much higher order, because it was from his family. And some of you out there tonight might know exactly this kind of betrayal. People who you thought so were supposed to love you, turn their back on you and stab you in the back. His brothers who were supposed to love him and protect him, who should Get behind his dreams and help him achieve those things at whatever cost to them. Instead, allow their jealousy to fuel them. And even consider murdering him as a result. And then certainly even later on, he finds favor in the house of Potiphar's wife and acting in no way unrighteously is betrayed by Potiphar's wife saying that he did sleep with her. Here I have his cloak. When he did nothing wrong. And maybe some of you out there know exactly what this feels like. Had the people that are closest to you turn on you. To have someone say something against you that you did not do and it cost you something and you feel like you're in bondage now because of it. But truly... Was he abandoned? No, at every point you see the favor of God upon his life. Something we even have to remember, when those closest to us abandon us, when those closest to us work in our lives for evil, let us always remember that that is not the intention of God, and he is sovereign. His intention for you is good. Jesus certainly can relate to this as well. Jesus was abandoned. Jesus was betrayed. Jesus was betrayed by one of the 12. One of the apostles. And I can't imagine this kind of betrayal, honestly, guys. Think about someone that you've walked with for three years. I've walked with a lot of you in here for over three and a half years now. You know me pretty well. I know you pretty well. And having seen Jesus perform extraordinary miracles See his ministry do extraordinary things to to know, to see that he is evidencing the fact that he is the son of God time and time again. And then to still be at a place where the enemy, Satan, can enter into you and cause you to betray this man who has poured his life into you for 30 pieces of silver. I can't imagine that kind of betrayal. Betrayal. I can't imagine if one of my leadership team in here were to do that to me, to betray me, to not have my back. Jesus was betrayed. That's not even the worst of it. He was abandoned by his family too. You remember, of course, in Matthew 27, 46, when Jesus cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's an interesting question, and a lot of stuff has been written about this verse. It's not as if Jesus suddenly doesn't trust in the Lord. It's not as if for uh, the entirety of his ministry, he was so focused on the Lord, and in a moment of weakness, he breaks. That's not it at all. No, Jesus never broke trust in the Lord. And it's not a separation or division of the Trinity. God the Father and God the Son are still intimately connected, but God... The Father, by nature, turns his back on God the Son and human flesh because upon his human flesh, Jesus takes upon the full weight of our sin. He takes upon all the guilt and all the shame and all the sin, and God turns his back on his Son. In fact, Jesus is saying that statement is communicating the full weight of his actions upon the cross. And that's why, as Travis said earlier, we never stop proclaiming the glory of the cross. Jesus was forsaken. Jesus was betrayed. Jesus was abandoned. So you and I would not have to be. Jesus was forsaken so Jared would not have to be forsaken. Jesus was forsaken so Travis would not have to be forsaken. Jesus was forsaken so that Dave would not have to be forsaken. Jesus was forsaken so that Janice would not have to be forsaken. You can put every single name in this room and indeed all over the world in that sentence because Jesus was forsaken for all people so that you and I would not be forsaken. He was abandoned so you and I would not have to be abandoned. He was bruised. He was crushed so you and I would not have to be bruised or crushed. He took upon the full weight of our sin on the cross. Yet, that's not the ending. In the same way that's not the ending for Joseph, he is ultimately exalted above every other be. Let us not ever forget the depths into which Christ sank so that you and I could be exalted with him. And this is the beauty of the story of the cross. The death, the grave, they are not the end. For Christ has risen. And he has been highly exalted. He has been given the name above every name. He has been given ultimate favor and has not chosen to hold that favor to himself. But as Christ is exalted, he has called the people of God around him to be exalted and share in that glorious exaltation. As Joseph's exaltation was not used for revenge, so too was Jesus's exaltation not used for revenge. It could have been. His authority, his power, he could have used to wipe us out having abandoned him. But no, in love, in grace, in abundant mercy, he did not use his glorious place at the right hand of God for revenge, but ultimately for our provision and restoration. What a profoundly beautiful truth. Finally, Joseph embraces the favor of God and uses his exaltation not for revenge, but rather for the benefit of the very ones who betrayed him, I said a minute ago, Joseph, in the same way that Jesus could have used his power, could have used the power of the Egyptian dynasty to wipe his brothers out when they came and bowed before him, He could have called the Egyptian guard to come and kill him, but instead of abusing his authority to get revenge. He looks upon them with compassion, knowing, having the confidence that every action taken by them was ordained by God to bring him and them to this point for the salvation of his people. What perspective? It's hard for us, isn't it? In the middle of being betrayed, in the middle of being angry, angry, in the middle of being overwhelmed by jealousy and defeat, to have that kind of perspective that God truly is sovereign. And if we have been blameless, if we have not done anything wrong, then he has ordained this for a reason. And part of our experience in those valleys, part of our experiences in those moments where we wonder where God is, is to seek him out, to find him, and to learn what it is that he is trying to teach us in this moment. How incredible that Joseph could have that perspective. Certainly in Jesus' case, the one who cannot save himself saves others. It's a direct quote from a book I've referenced a couple of times by D.A. Carson called Scandalous. And if you ever want a good read on the cross and the resurrection of Jesus, I highly recommend this book. But what a glorious thought. The one who cannot save himself uh, saves others. And certainly he could have saved himself. But for God's eternal plan to work, for this gospel to truly happen, Jesus gives himself, sacrifices himself so that others can be saved. He knew, Jesus knew the calling on his life would not be easy. Praying in the garden of Gethsemane for it to pass if it could. But yet he also knew that saving himself from this bleak future, this certain reality, would prohibit him from saving many, many others. We did not deserve his favor, yet he freely gave it, truly what unmerited grace we find in the person and work of Jesus. Jesus did not use the exaltation for revenge, but rather to benefit the very ones who betrayed him. And my friends, do not kid yourself for a second. Every one of us in this room has betrayed our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We have turned to a number of other things to find satisfaction when we know that he is the only one who truly satisfied. We have committed adultery against him, as we see in the book of Hosea. We have rejected him for his creation, which has certainly elements of him, but was never meant to be worshipped as him. That is idolatry. Yet, although justly he could have poured out his wrath, upon us he looks upon us in abundant mercy and says not only will i create a way for you to be saved i will give myself in order to do it the one who cannot save himself what a beautiful irony saves others jesus then truly is a true and better joseph how incredible that a book written thousands of years a story unfolding thousands of years before the earthly ministry of Jesus unfolds the gospel so completely and perfectly. And you're telling me this book is not inspired? What does this mean for me? Well, a couple questions. Number one, have you let a past rejection our moment of abandonment have an improper influence over your life? Could be a relationship that you thought was the one? Could be a job that you thought you had and lost? Could be a school you thought you were supposed to get into? Perhaps a more substantial relationship with a parent who abandoned you at a young age. Who forsook you at a young age it could be a divorce. And you're allowing that relationship, that abandonment, that evil to govern your life. That is not the story that Jesus wants to speak into your life. Do not live in that abandonment. Do not live in that forsakenness because Jesus took all of that for. He was abandoned so you wouldn't have to live in abandonment. He was forsaken so you would not have to be forsaken. Come underneath His beautiful, wondrous cross and find hope, find meaning and find purpose and recognize that God can use that evil in your life for His greater good if you let Him. If you were blameless, that is key by the way, Hold on to that idea for a second. If you were blameless, then you've got to trust in God's sovereignty. There's a bigger thing going on here. Now, let me also say this. Some of you guys have done stupid stuff my own life, done stupid stuff. There's a whole host of consequences that I brought on myself because of that stupid stuff. That is not the action of God's sovereignty. Well, it 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 is under God's sovereignty, but it's not the intention of God's sovereignty to bring those negative consequences upon you. It's a functionality of the free will he's given you underneath his sovereignty. Right? So, uh, you brought that mess upon yourself, okay? So don't give credit to God for a mess that you created. Deal with the consequences, learn from them, and move on. But, If you have arrived at a place where people are acting against you, they're speaking against you, and you have been blameless, upright, and righteous, recognize that God can be teaching you something through this experience that ultimately will lead you into a better position to glorify him and represent Christ. Number two, are you willing to be rejected as Jesus was for his message? It's a bigger discussion for us. You know, we are evangelists by calling. We are called to go out and proclaim the good news of Jesus. And yet, as many times as I get up here and say that as our calling, the apprehension never lessens for us to go out and proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. And ultimately, it says something about what you believe in the Lord. If you were concerned about his favor, if you are concerned about his opinion of you more than the favor of man and your opinion of your co-workers, then you will proclaim the good news of Jesus. But if you're more concerned about the opinion of someone who's drinking coffee beside you who you'll never see again, then you won't. But I want you to remember That momentary small rejection, possible rejection, you never know if it will be a rejection. But that fear that you allow to govern your life is an old master. And let us not forget how much Jesus overcame for us. How much he was rejected. How much he was ridiculed. How much he was abandoned. Don't we owe him a little bit more than that? Truly, truly, how much do you care about the opinion of God versus the opinion of men? How you proclaim his glorious gospel is a very good indicator. He was rejected. Joseph was rejected because of the messages that God had given him. You and I have a message, and it is that Jesus is better Are you willing to be rejected for it? Finally, do you ultimately trust in the sovereignty of God? For Joseph to be able to look at the end of his life after experiencing a lot more hardship than you and I probably will ever face in our life, for him to look down upon his brothers in what seemingly had to be a very hard moment, And to offer them grace and forgiveness when he had the authority and power to exact the perfect kind of revenge is a statement about his reliance upon the Lord. For him to look and say what you intended for evil, God intended for good, and look at the good now that's going to come out of your stupid decision is a statement about how he trusts the sovereignty of God. And Think about in your life for a second. Think about all the small things that happen every day that you and I complain about. I can't believe this guy cut me off in traffic. I can't believe that the drive through at Burger King is taking five minutes. I've had that discussion with people. I know you complain about that kind of stuff. I know I complain about that kind of stuff. I can't believe that people upstairs are banging on the apartment floor and I can't sleep. All these small things that we complain about and then in greater ways. This happened to me. These people did this to me at work. These great big things, even things like death. How we respond to stress. How we respond to these seemingly terrible things in our lives says something, says something about what we believe about God. That's why Paul writes in Thessalonians that we can't grieve like people who have no hope because we do have a hope. And when someone dies, we don't become emotionally distraught. Certainly we are upset about it, but we recognize that God has a bigger plan. And we trust in that. It's okay to grieve, yes, but there's a bigger plan going on here. When a relationship breaks up, I don't not eat for a week. I recognize that something about it wasn't right, and God's got a bigger plan and bigger purpose. How you react to that kind of stuff matters because it says something about your trust in the sovereignty of God. How many of us could react the way that Joseph reacted to his brothers? How many of us could react the way that Jesus reacted, having been abandoned? and called to save the very ones who murdered him and did it. Well, we're called to be like Jesus. And that is our challenge. Do you trust ultimately in the sovereignty of God? And as Travis comes back up, those are the things I want you to consider for a minute. And remember... You can't act that way without Jesus Christ in your life. In your flesh, you want to exact revenge. In your flesh, you want to glorify yourself. In your flesh, you want to be proven right. But all that changes when Jesus comes into our hearts. When our goal no longer is to glorify ourselves. When our goal no longer is to accumulate the favor of a number of human beings so that we feel good about ourselves. The goal in life is no longer those things. The goal in life is to make the name of Jesus Christ known, to glorify God with every part of our being. That doesn't happen unless Jesus Christ has radically transformed your life. And so tonight... If you've never been transformed by that truth, if you've never submitted your life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, I'll be up here in the front and love to talk with you about it. But if you have, does your life look like it? Are you proclaiming his message, willing to be rejected by men because you've been accepted by God, and that is enough? Have you put aside these Terrible memories, these people who've treated you badly and trusted completely in what Jesus did for you on the cross. Are you allowing that fear, that old master in your life, to still have authority in your life? That hurt to still have authority in your life? Why not go to the place where it can be healed? He's our great physician. Put it at his feet and walk forward in wholeness with the Holy Spirit alive inside of you. Does your life reflect a trust in the sovereignty of God? Even when moments come your way that seem to not make sense, do you trust there's a greater purpose and plan behind them? And do you react that way? Or do you react the same way everyone else does? Let's spend some time in prayer before the Lord. And then for those of us who are ready and able, I challenge you to stand and proclaim the love that you have for a God who is worthy, who, even though you rejected him, even though you abandoned him, even though you sold him out, looked upon you with grace, with unmerited favor and said I am enough for you I am your provision I am your savior I am your redeemer I am your reconciler come into my family and be made new incredible Father I pray you would move among us Truly, if there is someone here who has never fully grasped the truth of your gospel, I pray they would see that you are better. And although you were rejected by us, you were forsaken on our behalf. You love us just the same, and are calling us to your cross to find restoration. find healing, to find hope, to be reconnected to this God who we separated ourselves from. Be glorified, I pray, in our worship in our confession and our brokenness before you. We pray in the mighty name of Jesus.